God, may you be with us in this moment in our knowledge of your belovedness for us in the way that we meet you in our stories, finished and unfinished, still confusing, still hard, still wonderful. May we meet you in your justice and your mercy and your power and be changed by you. Be led by you further out and further in, into the depths of who you are and into the wideness of who you have made. On this day, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be of you. And if they are not, help us to find a way to move towards you once again in the second chances that Jesus always offers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Most of my favorite people in the Bible are people who appear just once or for a moment. They are on the sidelines or they bounce off the main story. Uh, Damaris at Mars Hill where Paul goes to preach to a statue of an unnamed God. She's important enough to mention at the end of the paragraph that most people who heard Paul's sermon weren't into it, but there were a couple who were, and they became extraordinary disciples. One of them was Damaris. Never seen or heard from in the Bible again. (laughs) But I want to know her story. If she's important enough to note, that means that the people who read it knew her. They knew her. She led something or did something or said something or was fun to have at a party or taught a really good Bible study or made the best thing at the potluck in Corinth. You know, she was someone. Um, And I want to know her story. One of my uh, mentors, her favorite characters in the Bible are Shifra and Pua. Shifra and Pua, these midwives who, when Pharaoh has declared that all Jewish boy babies will be murdered, begin to lie to the bureaucracy of which they are a part, to the evil machine of death of which they are a part, to the state violence of which they are a part. And they keep saying, after delivering babies and helping to hide them, we just didn't get there in time. We don't know where that baby went using that tiny bit of power to make space for life, to make space for flourishing. Shifra and Pua have a sentence in the Bible, but that heritage lives on forever. I love these side characters, and there are hundreds, thousands of them that we could talk about, Bezalel and Asa and all of these names that appear for a moment. Um, Because I think that on the side of the story, is mostly where God finds us in life. (laughs) I know that on the side of the community, on the margins and on the edges, is where I have always seen Christ to be most at work and where it seems like Jesus had the most fun hanging out. (laughs) Um, The people he was most committed to were the people who had been pushed from the centers the people who had been made to be underside, that is where he both found himself and wanted to be and where he said in the Sermon on the Mount that all blessing resided with the weak and the vulnerable and the children and the women. And we could add to the list today the queer people and the black people and the people of color and the people any time a society says you are less 
you go to the side, that's where we'll find God's presence, right? That's where we'll find God at work. And so in this story, which we read today um, as a part of our family series, we've been talking about family all month, and we've been in Genesis for it because Genesis has some of the most dramatic and messed up families of all time. (laughs) So it's good to wander through when you're thinking about family. Um, We read the story that you've probably heard before of Jacob and his deceitful father-in-law, mean to every possible person he encounters, Laban, to Rachel and Leah, his wives, who are jealous of one another, who are desperate for his love. Leah cries and is desperate and names every single one of her sons after her hope that he will finally love her and it never works out. That story we've heard, but those aren't the only people in this story. When we read Genesis 29, you also heard the names of Zilpah and Bilhah, the uh, handmaidens, if you're a fan, I guess is a strong word of handmaid's tale, right? The, the servants, the servants of Laban, the, the slaves of Laban, the enslaved women who have been controlled in his household their whole lives and who are casually given away to a man they don't know as helpers to the women who are thought to be the stars of the story. It's at the side that I find God. It's at the side that I find Jesus at work. And so I want to think about Bilhah and Zilpah and what they're doing and who they are and who they might have been. The other thing about side characters is that they allow you to use your God-given creativity um, and holy, sanctified imagination to find yourself, your experience, to find what's hurting you or what's helping you in the biblical witness when it might be hard for you to find in the characters who have always been called the main piece of the story. And that's why this sermon series has sort of ended up also being a book recommendation series. I don't do a lot of book recommendations, but every Sunday this one. And and today, uh, it's Womanist Midrash by uh, Wilda Gaffney. Um, For those of you who don't know Dr. Reverend Gaffney, um, she's an Episcopalian priest. She's a biblical scholar of extraordinary excellence. And this is probably one of my favorite books about the Bible that has ever been. (laughs) If you are ever um, wanting another perspective on the Hebrew Bible or wanting to go deeper into what it is, I think this is a great one to have around. Um, And Womanist Midrash is a good description of what she does every time she writes. She's also a great Twitter follow, Um, which is womanism is the heritage, the cultivation, especially in the 20th century, but throughout all time of, um, of a black feminism that says we don't have to choose between black liberation in the Bible and between um, the liberation of women, there is an experience that is both, there is a perspective that is both, and there is a place to come from where we can see the fullness of what the Bible is. And Midrash is a, is a, a Jewish way of exegesis that invites imagination and argument, where contradiction isn't a problem it's half the fun. <laughs> and so it's a way of thinking, yeah, we like contradiction. And so it's a way of thinking about the Bible that invites us to think about the strange places, the side places, the places where we can imagine, the places where we can make new. Um, and, and her writing on 
Zilpa and Bilha in particular is um, some of the most beautiful that I know. So we're going to share it in a minute, but, but today what we want to talk about is not just families, because families are what we, right, the hard parts of families, the good parts of families, but particularly chosen families. Because when you're on the side, when you're on the margins, either of your family of origin because it's got some dysfunctional dynamics, <laughs> or of the world because of how you have been marginalized in society, one of the things we often have to do is choose family where the people who are supposed to be family have not shown up for us. And so we want to think about how God helps us in that, what it means to do that, what it looks like to do that. And so... Um, First, I thought we'd look at one of the most um, generative, generous, and gorgeous chosen families of all time, the, the House of Labeja. And so I want to show you a, a photo of just five. So the House of Labeja is a drag ball house that started in um, New York in 1977. So it's been over 50 years now, right, that this house has been around. Um, started by Crystal Labeja, who was a drag artist who could walk and do dresses and could vogue at, for her life, but also was committed to the young queer folks, trans folks, other drag artists who had often been abandoned by their families or had never had a family at all and were living on the street and started a tradition not only of teaching people um, how to dance and how to wear makeup and how to paint your face with love and joy, but how to give food and a room and a blanket and a whatever to anyone who needed it. And after she was done, Pepper Labeja and her husband Tommy took over to this house, and they really built it into a house where love begat more love, right? You would adopt a drag daughter and... Um, give her whatever emotional support she needed as well as these skills and then she would adopt somebody else. And now there's even a third mother of the house because there's been another retirement. And now there are over 100 people living across the world who have been transformed by this chosen family, right? 100 people, <laughs> 100 people over time, folks pushed as far to the side as you can get who have been transformed by a love that was not biological or legal in any fashion, but that was more family than a lot of families have been to us. And I wanted to read you some, some quotes about it um, and about how you do that, like what that looks like, how that feels. <laughs> um, and I just want to introduce you to, so from top left, this is Linda, Thunder, Egypt, Malibu, and La Fierce Labeja. So they're also active in the community now. These are people you could go see and meet and read and watch YouTube videos of, and we'll, we'll put all that in front of you on Facebook this week. Um, but the things that they've said about this family, Egypt says um, she's been in the house for five years. They call me auntie. People in the house call me their mother, even though I'm not technically their mother. But I love the house and the kids that are in the house. So if they want to call me auntie, grandma, give me any name you want. The thing is, this family is more than just the balls. We do things together. We talk to each other. We communicate. If someone has a problem with school, with their job, with the place that they live, they can always call to talk about it. So something about family, right, is this time <laughs> that we spend time together. And something about family is vulnerability, that we share needs together, that we're honest when things are going badly, and that when we're honest, 
that's received. It's not considered just our problem. <laughs> something of what makes family is shared concern. That if you're going through something, folks are going through it with you and they want to help you. It's not just for the name because it's more than just a name. She says, Labeha is sunshine. We like to make sure that everything grows. In order for it to grow, we have to treat it like family. And when I'm thinking about um, the people in my life, both the families that I've come from and the families that I'm trying to make, the families I'm trying to make with my children, the families I'm trying to make with this church, the families I'm trying to make in my community, um, this seems to me like a creation ethic we can work with, that we want to make things grow. <laughs> that if it doesn't feel like sunshine, if it doesn't feel like growth, it's not a family. Because I think where so many of us have experienced um, challenge in our own families is when families demand that you stay the same forever, when families don't leave room for growth. So one way that can hurt is when a family of friends, a chosen family or a real family, a real family, right, a biological family, a legal family, however family has been for you, um, is if family doesn't want to help when things are hard. That's one way. But the other is that if family doesn't want you to grow when things are good, if they're scared of you changing, if you always have to be who you were at 13, if you always have to be who you were when you made sense to them, that's another way of slowly kicking you out because if you can never become something different, how can you become who you are? We want to make things grow. <laughs> we want family to feel like sunshine. And then there was one more that I wanted to read um, from... Uh, okay. I lost it. All right, sorry. From Linda LaBeja. Um The house is just overall supportive, especially Tommy. It's been actually wonderful to really have a father figure to admire and to respect greatly. I've always sought out chosen family. I was in foster care when I was younger, so my family's always been like really just dismembered and spread out. So I've always leaned towards a chosen family, especially being queer. I think it's something that naturally we just do. You just find you your tribe. And here, right, speaks to like the enormous creativity and resilience of, of marginalized communities that you make a way out of no way, that you make love where there was no love, that you find things where people said, you would never be allowed the same joy as others, the same expression as others, the enormous creativity. Um, and this language she uses about the, the failed, the hard families of her past. My family's always been really just dismembered and spread out, dismembered, unmembered. Um, that is what can happen through challenge, right, through like sometimes poverty dismembers us and spreads us across the world. Sometimes it's exile or shunning. Sometimes it's conflict that we can't get over. We get dismembered, disconnected. And, and part of our hope for when we make a family in our community or in our neighborhood, but also for when we make a family in a church, we're going to have a baptism today. Um, and, and a baptism is about a relationship between that person who is baptized and God, but it's also about membering them into the church. That one of the things we do when we member one another into new communities is that we start to heal whatever dismemberment 
has rocked us in the past. <laughs> that when we offer ways to become members of freer, more open families and communities, ones that feel like sunshine, ones where you can grow, ones where you're being your whole self doesn't threaten the other members, we offer healing to one another <laughs> for whatever dismemberment from a nation or a group or a family we have experienced in the past that for as many moments of distrust we may have about joining, and I know you all, I know your, your feelings about it, that there's something powerful about membering one another, about offering one another a place and saying that there will always be a place for you no matter what. And having learned from lived experience now, seeing a chosen family, a created family, I want to return to Bilha and Zilpa, to the members who only we see for a line or two in this scripture story, because I think it's of benefit to us as well as to them and their memory to remember them into the story of who is God's people and who is God's family. Gaffney um, says, I honestly could just read you this whole book. Like, that could be how we spend the next month of sermons, and it would be of great benefit to all of us, but that's, you know, not the tradition. Um, So that's right, but everybody get a copy or I'll lend you mine. Um, she, She talks about her relationship to the Bible and the complexity of her relationship to the Bible and her tradition and the the thickness and the wonder of her relationship with God, but also her anger at the God who is in the Bible, a a God who is sometimes depicted as condoning slavery, right, and condoning oppression and condoning the worst harms that have ever happened in the world and the harms specifically that have happened to her mothers and her grandmothers as a black American, right? That, like, that how, do you, how do you handle this God and this text that has all the things? And she says, the complexity of the biblical text is part of what draws me to them and commends them to me. I wrestle with the text more bruised than blessed with God wrestling the Torah as a surrogate for the one who revealed her and the ones who claimed clear and certain apprehension of revelation in the name of the one. She sees the gulf, right? She sees the harm. She sees the harshness. But she also sees in Bilha and and Zilpah herself and her story and a story of God who is at work, who is liberating, who is moving, who is changing at all times, no matter how hard we sometimes work to cover up that story and pretend that it isn't happening and pretend that the legal definition of family is the only one that's going to count. She looks at this story and she says, as a God and Torah wrestling woman, I say, I say, right, I am empowered as one with the Holy Spirit in me. A father does not have divine sanction to sell his daughter into sexual slavery. I say, a God and Torah wrestling woman, knowing as I write these words that there are girls being pimped out and sold by their own fathers who do not need or seek the permission of this text or its God before selling their daughters as sex slaves, I say, a man does not have the right to capture a girl, whether from the sanctuary of her own home or neighborhood or if she has run away from home to rape her and impregnate her. Women do not have the right to give or sell their daughters, for Rachel and Leah abided by this too, as so many of us do. Rachel and Leah abided by this too, to provide their men with the bodies of other girls. As I write these words, another truth emerges from the scriptures. 
The reprehensible gender and sexual mores of the Stone and Iron Ages are still in effect for some of the women, men, boys, girls, and I would add non-binary folks living in our digital age. Our sacred texts do not proclaim or even envision always a world without slavery and the subordination of women, but they lay for us a foundation to transcend them and their limitations. The limitations of those who claimed to hear God enshrining human bondage of all sorts, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Do to others what you would have them do to you. What is hateful to you, do not do to another. In the Messiah, there is no longer slave or free, male or female. In the same text in which God delivers some of the Israelites from Egyptian bondage and orders others into sexual bondage, I hear the words of liberation and release from an unlikely voice. It's always there. (laughs) It's always there to fight for. It's always there to believe in. It's always there if we believe that God has directed us with freedom and liberation and hope and joy towards families we can choose, towards liberation we can choose, towards Bible that we can choose when the scriptures have failed us to look to the sides, to look around the circle and see who has our story and see who has the story we need to hear if we're a part of oppression and pain and hurt and who might be calling us out to a place we did not know to say that in fact God and the scriptures might be something different than we were taught. She ends by saying, Ashe, a Yoruba word that is... um, a word of honor for the ancestors. She says, Mother Zilpah, womb slave of Israel, we call your name Ashe. Mother Bilha, womb slave of Israel, we call your name Ashe. As important as it is to create chosen families in this time here and now to make our friends and our church new families of hope, of joy, of justice, we also have to draw back into history and write new families of who has come before us, of who really counts as a mother or a father of our ethic, of our nation, of our church. There are people to be drawn upon. We can be the church of Joanna Lee. We can be the church of Richard Allen instead of being the church of those who have failed to know all who have God made. So let's write new stories. Let's write new families. Let's write new families with the people around us. Let's write new families of the people who came before us so that we might create new possibilities for the people who come after us. Whole houses of people who know love, of people who know joy, of people who feel church and God and one another and family to be like sunshine instead of like rain, to be like growth instead of containment. Because God has invited us to, and I believe that we can do it. Amen.